Morning. We are before the, the, the manicness and brilliantness of Christmas kicks in, which I know you're all counting down to. Yeah, okay. Um, we're going to do a short series um, called The Art of Connecting. And part of this is because we're, we're hoping, as we've spoken about before, um, in the new year, February-March time, to do a, a kind of a joint mission or joint sermonic themes um, on hashtag Do You Know Him? We've done that series already before. But the vision is that we'll do this across Skipton. And alongside all the churches doing the same sermon themes about Jesus. Can someone maybe sh- shut those? So I can't, that'd be brilliant, thank you. Um, we're hopefully going to be doing some outreach and stuff out, out in the streets. It should be really exciting. But we thought it'd be good to talk about um, this idea of the art of connecting because it is a kind of a gentle way of referring to one of the scariest words in the whole of Christendom. It's not just one of the scariest words in the whole of Christendom, it is also possibly one of the most offensive words in our world today. Evangelism. I could feel the shoulders tense up even now. Evangelism. The E word. It's a bit scary sometimes, isn't it? We maybe like to avoid that E word. Perhaps we even hide behind the noble word mission, which means you can get your hands dirty without having to say anything. Are we scared of this word evangelism? Well, is evangelism important? Is evangelism important? I don't know what you think, but clearly because you're here, someone in your life thought evangelism was important enough to tell you about Jesus. Is evangelism important? In this church it is. This church believes in evangelism. Why? Because actually, let's ask a simpler question. Not is evangelism important, is Jesus important? Because if Jesus is important, then evangelism is. Evangelism should be should be one of the easiest, most natural things a Christian can do. I can hear your subconscious saying, yeah, right. But it should be. Why? Well, because if we love Jesus, every single one of us is an evangelist. Every single one of us is an evangelist. Now, please don't worry. It doesn't mean that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up with a white suit whiter teeth, a bouffant hair, and an orange tan, and an accent from somewhere in the southern states of America. Maybe that's our picture of an evangelist, perhaps not maybe highly caricatured. That's an image of what an evangelist is, but we are, each one of us, if we love Jesus, an evangelist. And perhaps our problem is that it's never been taught to us what evangelism really is, or we've been taught either incorrectly or incompletely what evangelism is. But there are a number of reasons why we don't do evangelism. And we're going to just briefly look at a couple of those as we start this morning. And maybe the reason we don't do it, one of the fundamental reasons is that we're scared. We're scared of a number of things. We're maybe scared of rejection, of being ostracized by our friends, our family as being one of those, you know, religious nuts who likes Jesus. Probably wears sandals with a rainbow guitar strap. You know, that kind of thing. 
we're scared of what people might think of us. We're scared maybe that it might lead to us having some difficulties in our social circles or in our workplace. If we hold fast to a certain way of living and we're being challenged to act a different way in our workplace and maybe our salary, maybe our promotion potential, maybe our even job itself hinges on whether we will compromise our faith or not. So we're scared. Maybe we're scared of getting it wrong. Someone's eternal soul depends if I get it right. And so we don't do it. A bit like those, you know, when you do a first aid course. And afterwards you're worried you're actually going to come across someone who needs first aid. And you might have to do something. Maybe we're scared. Maybe another reason is something about inability. Maybe we feel that it's not my gifting. I mean, that is the biggest get-out clause, isn't it? Oh, that's great what you do, but it's just not my gifting. Wrong. True, there are some people who have got specific abilities and some evangelistic skills. Some people have a really big heart for evangelism. But every one of us is an evangelist. Maybe it's because you feel like I don't really know how to do it. Let me tell you, there's been lots of people who know how to do evangelism who've actually caused a lot of damage in the past. Maybe I don't know how to do it. Maybe I just can't answer all those questions. The one about suffering and dinosaurs. I don't know. Two different questions, not the same one. That tells you where a comma should be. Maybe linked to that is a sense of a lack of confidence. Maybe personal lack of confidence. You know, well, evangelists, they're extroverts and I'm an introvert, so that's me out. Maybe it's a sense of, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not a good enough Christian to be an evangelist. Maybe that's what we think. Perhaps the question is, I don't know enough. Or maybe, you know, I don't even know if the gospel works. Really? I've got nothing to offer anyone else. Perhaps it's a lack of conviction. Do I really believe all that stuff that I say on a Sunday morning? All that stuff that comes from the front, do I really believe it? Or am I just part of a gang? Do I really believe it? Or maybe it's not really that important evangelism. It's more hassle than it's worth. I'm too busy with other things like, you know, washing the dishes. Or perhaps heaven and hell. Bit outdated really, isn't it? So there's no need. God's dead nice anyway, isn't he? Maybe it's a lack of conviction in the message. And linked to that is maybe what, what right have I to talk to someone else about truth? And this is very prevalent today in our kind of um, relativistic, pluralistic, multicultural society that my truth is one thing. Your truth may be completely different, but it's yours and it's fine. That doesn't make logical sense, by the way. My truth and your truth being different, but both true doesn't make logical sense, okay? It's either true or it's not true. So what right have I to tell someone actually your truth? I've got a few questions about that. I'm going to present to you the truth. What right have I? And besides which, Christianity is just one of many ways to get to God. Yeah, man? And God's dead nice. Everyone gets in eventually. So why bother with evangelism? These are some of the significant roadblocks in evangelism. But I think one of the key ones is that evangelism is not 
what we think it looks like. We, we think it looks like one thing, like the televangelist or that street preacher or the keen bean in the corner who basically is one step away from being a fundamentalist. That's to be honest about it, shall we? People who are gifted, you know the story. You've read the stories about the evangelist, something like the evangelist is on a plane sitting beside someone and he says, the guy beside him says, can you pass me the water? He says, yes, I can give you the water. I can also give you the water of life. Oh, tell me more. Yes, I will. It's about Jesus Christ. Can I know Jesus? Yes, you can. And he commits his life to Jesus. And they're praying there and the stewardess comes by and says, what's going on here? Can I help you? Oh, we're just, this guy's just committing his life to Jesus. Really? Can I do that too? Yes, of course you can. Come and pray. And she prays and she walks down the aisle back to where everyone else is in the galley. She's got a big smile on her face. People, all the other stewardesses going, what's wrong? What's happened? You look so happy. Well, let me tell you. On row F, seats three and four two guys are becoming Christians and one guy became a Christian I've just become a Christian and you can too and all the stewardesses go yes please and so they all pray a prayer and say Jesus come and be our friend and then they are walking through the aisles with all their trays of goodies giving out things with smiles on their faces and the whole plane then goes why are you so happy well let us tell you on seat F3 and 4 someone's becoming Christian I've just become a Christian and you should too and the whole plane becomes Christians and as the plane lands the pilot is getting out and goes what's happened it's like a different crew you can know Jesus too and as he leaves the plane he says alright and 100% bang on because that always happens, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the norm, isn't it? No, it's not. Let me tell you, sometimes stories not far off that are the norm in revival. And we talked about revival a number of weeks ago. And we believe that God can bless this country, this nation, this town with revival. Where things like that happen. Where literally people come and knock on doors and say, please, can I become a Christian? And you go, oh, all right then. But it's not normality. The thing is, we've we based our evangelism on the one, two, three, A, B, C strategy and steps approach. I remember knowing how to lead someone to Christ. So I remember one of the first times someone asked me the stupid questions like, what do Christians think? Well, here we go. And I went in and I explained the four spiritual laws. You know, God loves you. We've sinned. Christ died. You need to choose. Or the classic one, where will you spend eternity if you're hit by a bus? This bus is driving around the country. I've got my suspicions about it. It's actually not a great form of evangelism. Anyway, I've used all that, and I remember thinking when the person just went, all right, that's great. See ya. I went, whoa, one second. You're meant to become a Christian now, because that's how it works, isn't it? And I was surprised that it didn't work. See, the thing is, and I want to emphasize this, I'll probably say it more than once, there's nothing you and I can do or not do which will make someone a Christian. There's nothing that you and I can do or not do that will make someone a Christian. That's God's work. We heard about it in our passage. Salvation is found in no one else, not even us, in Skipton Baptist Church. Only Jesus Christ. But there is lots you and I can do or not do that will either help or hinder someone in the journey to that place. There's lots that you and I can do to help or to hinder someone's journey to that place of encounter with Jesus Christ. So we based it on strategy and steps. How do you become a Christian? We've formalized it. I don't see Jesus going through an ABC of how to become a follower of his. 
So let's go back to the word evangelism. What is that actually all about? Well, let's go back to what the Greek actually says. It's from a Greek word, evangelion, which actually means good news. It's a hyped up preacher's phrase, but don't you think that we need some good news? Not just about you know, a family of ducks being reunited, but actually good news in a world where there's a lot of darkness. An evangelion, passing on a good story. I want you to do something for me for just uh, two minutes, maybe two and a half if you're lucky. I would like you, you're all sweating now, <laughs> to turn to someone, preferably someone you're maybe not so familiar with, so don't just turn around to your husband and wife and say, yes, we're safe. Uh, turn to someone else. I want you to share briefly one story from your life. Just one great story. You know, it could be something to do with church or not church. It's okay, you've got a free pass, okay? Just for two minutes, turn and tell the person just about an event, a story in your life, and then let them do the same thing to you as well, okay? You've got two minutes, 45.7 seconds to do it in. Go for it. One more minute, one more minute. Fifteen seconds. Okay, okay. And let's wrap that up, please. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing that. Thank you for getting out of your comfort zones and having a chat if that's out of your comfort zone. Thank you for stopping if it's slap bang in the middle of your comfort zone. So that's great. Thank you. Just shared a story. I'm sure it was fascinating and interesting, and you can talk about it some more at the end. The thing is, we are surrounded by stories, absolutely surrounded by stories. The power of story is immense. 
Stories are everywhere. Much or all of human interaction, communication, and conversation is a passing on of information, usually in a form of a story. Think of these questions and how they're answered with a story, a snippet. How's your day been? What's the latest with you? What happened at that party? Why have you two fallen out? Where are you going in your holidays this year? Tell me what it was like in the summer. Tell me why those sales figures are so low. How is your family doing? All of those questions and lots of different areas of life lead to a response, which is a story. Our whole lives are interconnection stories. I want to ask you a question. What's the first beatitude? Go on, Lisa. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Brilliant. What's the second one? <laughs> Blessed. <laughs> Third one. Blessed. <laughs> Seventh one. Okay, someone's now looking up on their phone. I can tell. Okay, let me ask you another thing. At the moment, the prodigal son gave food to the pigs. What happened next? Okay, I can't speak garble, okay? Someone tell me. The pigs ate him. For the, uh, for the recording, that was Ellis Smith that said the pigs ate him. Anyone else want to raise their bid? What happened once he gave the food? He ate some of the food, then what? He came to his senses, then what? He went home. Then what? His father welcomed him home. Brilliant. Two passages in Scripture. You probably read them both a similar number of times. One you're going, blessed. And the other one you remember because one's a list and one's a story. The people who are really good at memory things, like remembering packs of cards, people say, how do you do that? They say that we tell a story. We link. If you want to remember a list of things, a list of objects, you link them by a story. It's how we're made. Why do you think Jesus told stories? There were other Pharisees and other teachers going, right, rule number 36.A, 36.B, do you remember? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story about a boy who wanted his inheritance early. But it's more than shared stories. Stories are a way of connecting. They're a way that we connect with people. And that is the basis of this series, The Art of Connecting. It's based, um, it's based on a book written by Roy Crown and Bill Muir from YFC. It's called The Art of Connecting. And they were writing it about evangelism. Because they were saying, why is evangelism so difficult? Why do people find it so hard to do? And they wondered whether we, we've been teaching it the wrong way. And they developed this idea of three-story evangelism, three-story living. And they realized that this brand new concept that they'd come up with was incredibly ancient. <laughs> you know, two, at least two millennia. And Jesus had been doing it all along. Three-story evangelism. That's what we're doing over the next few weeks. First one is this. First story is our story. Our life story. Everything about our lives. Remember, you are the hero of your own adventure. Okay? Our story. And then it's their story. It's the people we don't yet know or we're getting to know. It's their story and their life. And then there's God's story and how these three connect. And in relation to evangelism, it's about your story connecting. 
But there's one thing which is the most important thing about evangelism. The first and most fundamental point of evangelism is this, as our stories overlap with God. The first and most important thing about evangelism is you and Jesus. Forget about techniques. Forget about ways of explaining the gospel. Those are useful in their context. But the first and most important thing about evangelism is you and Jesus. The most important. Remember, Jesus sent us out at the end of Matthew. He said, go into all the nations. But his first commandment was come. When someone said, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? He said, first one is love God with everything you've got. And then love your neighbor. Come before you go. Every Christian, every Christian has a God story. I don't want to use the word testimony because it sounds terribly heavy. Every Christian has a God story. But I can't tell you the number of times I've asked. I'm really fascinated, by the way, at people's stories, um, God stories. And when I ask people and they go, I haven't really got one. It's not very exciting. Uh, a number of times people have said that to me. But the thing is about... God's stories and testimonies is that there are two types. There's the fireworks and there's the flowers. There's the momentous one, which is a massive turnaround, kind of evil, devil-worshipping, drug-dealing murderer, becomes a Christian. That's a bit of a U-turn, isn't it? And then there's the person who's born into a Christian family whose great-grandfather was like, you know, the Pope. <laughs> Strike that Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> Reformation's really kicking in, isn't it? <laughs> Brought up as a Christian. I've just been a Christian my whole life, so I haven't got a, a story. Wrong. Both stories are amazing. Both of them are amazing. The firework one, which is a sudden turnaround, and the one which is a gradual opening up of a flower. You tell me which of those is the most beautiful, a firework or a beautiful flower. They're both amazing. They're both stories of grace. Um, Chloe, our new children's minister, bless her and her ministry is going to be here. She was at the 915 and I kind of dropped her in and said, can you come tell a story? And she told me and Lisa. She was working up in uh, Yorkshire camps looking after a dorm of kids with another leader and in the dorm time at the end of the day, he said, we're going to share our testimonies. So her co-leader shared her testimony, which was like, serious. It was like her dad went missing. He put a phone number in her phone and said, if anything happens to me, phone this number. He went off, you know, he went AWOL. No one knew what happened to him. She phoned this number. It was a Christian family. They knew about her. They said, come to church. She goes to church, becomes a Christian. Her dad goes to prison. It's like serious. And Chloe was sitting there going, I've got to give my testimony tomorrow night. Oh dear. But the kids in the room, they were going, so what was he in prison for? Why did he run away? Where did he go to? What did he do? Tell me all about it. Next day, they've been doing some teaching about what it, what it means to be a Christian. And so Chloe was sharing her testimony, her God story. And she was saying, well, I was, I was brought up as a, a Christian in a Christian family. Mum and dad were Christians. I've kind of known the Bible all my life, everything. And then I went to Soul Survivor and I quote, Lisa will be happy with that. Not Soul Survivor, Spring Harvest. I knew it was something you were involved in. <laughs> Read the script, Phil. Okay. It was when she was at Spring Harvest that she realized that going to church didn't make you a Christian. And so she gave her life to Jesus that night after a gradual process. And she told the, the, the children this. And, and their eyes pricked up. And they went, what, really? So, 
Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What does make you a Christian? Tell me what it means to be a Christian. And at the end of a big, long conversation, Chloe says, I tell you what, I'm going to pray. And if you want to share this prayer, just say amen at the end. And kids give their lives to Christ from a boring <laughs> testimony. It is not boring. Your story, your story is important. It is powerful. It is useful. But the thing is, so many of our testimonies stop at the beginning. You know, a good story's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so we begin our story. It's a bit like telling a fairy story. Once upon a time in a far-off land, in a mystical forest, lived two children happily living about, and then an evil wizard came and stole them away. Getting there. (laughs) Into a far-off land where they lived in subjugation and they had to work 17 hours a day and they were miserable. Then out of the forest came a knight in shining armor who said, I will take you back, but the journey will be perilous and we will overcome this enemy. Come with me. And the children got on the horse and left. And that's it. That's all you're getting. (laughs) Because that's where we are. And then I became a Christian. Let's sing our next hymn. That's not a God story. That's a conversion story. That's the beginning. And the end, we hope and we pray, will be heaven. But there's a big bit in the middle. It's called life. And that's our testimony. That's our God story about the reality of God today. It's where our lives overlap with one another's and with the people out there. Whilst our testimony about how we became a Christian is important, our middle bit is what's relevant. So my question to you and to me is how real is your current God story? Reuben has been um, trying to get some extra pocket money and then he decided he wanted more than that. So he's gone and trying to get jobs around town. So he printed out his CV, and it reminded me how often, if you're wanting a new job, if you've been somewhere for like 20 years, what do you have to do? Is you, and people say it, I'm going to dust off my CV. And then what's the most important thing then with your CV? Make sure it is... I think you said up to date. That's the correct answer. <laughs> Make sure your curriculum vitae is up to date. Your CV. CV, Latin, curriculum vitae means the course of your life. Your Christian life. Is your Christian life up to date? Or are you still relying on past glories and past events? How real is your now relationship with Jesus? Is your Jesus CV up to date? It's great if you can tell me when and how you became a Christian, dramatic or not. But what I and others out there want to know, nay, need to know, is how it affects you now. How real is it for you now? You can explain the four spiritual laws. You can grasp Greek and handle Hebrew. You can memorize miracles, paraphrase parables, quench queries and explain elements of the gospel. And the person can still at the end say, so what? What difference does it make in your life? Do you have an answer to that question? Do you have what is essentially a live connection with Jesus? Don't expect to interest anyone else in Christianity or church or the faith if your connection with Jesus is not live. If your relationship with him is not alive and real, it will not attract other people. We didn't read it, but one of the other readings we were going to have is John 15, where Jesus says, um, he describes himself as the vine. 
And he says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I've planted a few apple trees not so long ago. And this is my first harvest this year. And I got lots of really nice apples. And I was like, yes, I could go into business with two trees. <laughs> Maybe not. But let me tell you, if one of those branches comes off and just sits on the ground, I can pick it up and go, hey, grow fruit. And it won't, because it's not connected to the source of life. It's not connected to the tree. Not connected to Jesus means that you will not bear fruit. It doesn't mean that everything's got to be all wonderful and rosy and hallelujah. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be alive and it's got to be authentic. Because, in fact, faith in hardship in tough times is often more impacting than demonstrating a 100% solidly sold out and sorted life. Because that has not got integrity, that's not got reality to it. In fact, relationships develop more in weakness than in strength. So our story needs to be alive. It needs to be authentic and real. And then, and only then, will it be somewhat approachable. So the question is, how do we keep that connection? How do we keep connected, living and live and real? What are the connection points with Jesus, I would love to say I have discovered the secret of having a relationship live and active with Jesus just by having a cup of tea. But I'm not going to. Worship, Bible, prayer, obedience, and fellowship. It feels like a bit like deja vu, doesn't it? Oh yeah, we know that, Phil. Let me tell you, without worship, engaging with worship, without engaging with God's word regularly, without praying to God, without obeying him by going your own way, without fellowshipping with other Christians and being a strength to them and they being a strength to you, without those things, you will not have a live connection with Jesus. You will not have it. You may pretend to have it. You may look like you have it, but you will not have it without those things. I'm sorry, it's not changed in two millennia. I'm not going to come up with something new this week. I don't apologize for a broken record because I need to hear this as well. Do you feel distant from God? Struggling in your faith? Don't have, you don't have an up-to-date CV with God? Can I ask you to check these connection points? To check that they're not loose connections. To check that they haven't actually been disconnected without realizing it. All this is about being connected in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how you do it. So we return to our three-story living. And what we've been talking about this morning is our story with God. It's got to be alive. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be connected. And the more we connect with God, the more those circles overlap. But the amazing thing, and this is what Lisa's going to be developing next week, and you're going to see this hopefully over the next few weeks, the same um, illustration again and again. The more we're overlapped with God, then the more we overlap our lives with other people just by sharing life and sharing our story with them, the more they will come in contact with God's story through you. And this is not about you saying, right, I'll wait for the right opportunity to sock them with the gospel. It's about you sharing your life with them. And this is not a reason to back off and go, well, they can, they can tell I'm a Christian. 
Really? Even Jesus used words. Our story, God's story, the more of God's story interacts with ours and invades ours, the more any of our friends, family, colleagues who interact with us with their story will inadvertently come across the God story because it will be natural to us. We'll not be ashamed to talk about it. The reading we had, and we finished with these, these last points, are from Acts. And it's just after Peter and John have healed the cripple and they're brought before the, the Sanhedrin. And they say, we realize these blokes are ordinary. There's nothing special about them, which was pretty offensive. And look at this at the end. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Can you say that people that you work with, live with, relate to, can know and take note that you are with Jesus? And then they didn't just get noticed at the end. They say this, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. They notified as well. They said something. Not because they were taking the opportunity. It was just there. It was part of their life. We had a great example. And with this, I'm going to wrap things up. With um, Mick. Now, if you don't know, um, our beloved lay pastor Mick has recently tread the boards in Sister Act. I'm sorry to give you nightmares, but he was wearing platform shoes <laughs> and sparkly things. But the day of the first performance, Mick on the cast Facebook page posted a prayer for the cast. Prayer, if you don't know, I'm going to big you up, is a really big part of Mick's life. You know that. It's, it's a blessing to us. So he's just sharing his life. Mick told me he was amazed by the response of people who are not necessarily Christians, but were amazed that Mick shared that prayer. He didn't share the gospel, four points, there you go, have a tract. He shared part of God's story. And who knows where that might lead. Keep connected to Jesus. First and most important thing about evangelism is you and Jesus. Then you are a person who has a good story. And a person who's got a good story is, by definition, an evangelist. That's what you are. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you did not leave us disconnected. Thank you that you have chosen to overlap our lives with you. You know, Jesus, where each one of us is today in relationship with you, whether we have an authentic and live relationship with you or not, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you help each one of us to assess those connection points? those connection points where we need to be connected to you before we think of connecting to other people with your word. Will you help us to assess those connection points by your spirit? And Lord, if there's something that needs doing, will you give us the courage to do it? The discipline to do it. The desire to do it. So that people will take note that we have been with Jesus. And 
we will not be able to not talk about our relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, will you make that a reality for all these holders of good news, these evangelists, as they share their good story. In Jesus' name, amen.